You're listening to the Diabetic Running Podcast, helping people run their blood sugars one workout at a time. Hey guys, welcome to episode 8 of the Diabetic Running Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Fody. Today on the show, I have Stephen England. Steven is a phenomenal ultra runner for Team Nova Nordisk. Now, I should probably mention that Team Nova Nordisk, I think, has switched to an ambassador role for a lot of their runners. So since this interview, I think runners like Steven and Benny's role in Team Nova Nordisk has changed a little bit. But in general, a big shout out to them for helping me get set up with these two. Once again, guys, welcome to episode eight. And without further ado, here's my interview with Steven England. So I'm super excited to have Steven England on the show today. Steven is a type 1 diabetic. He's 37 years old, and he was diagnosed at 14. Steven's from the UK and is a semi-pro runner for Team Nova Nordisk. He's run races like the JFK 50, um, <clears throat> the North Face 50 kilometer in New York 2012, North Face 50 in DC, and oh, by the way, he got first overall, has finished Leadville 100, Western States finisher in 2013, North Face 50, San Francisco 2013 finisher. The Vermont 100 finisher, 2014, Tahoe 200, um, has completed the Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc, or UTMB, in 2016, Havilene 100 in 2016, Western States finisher in 2017, and the North Face Half Marathon in New York in 2017. Um, Stephen might be my diabetic running hero. He's basically the Andy Murray of the diabetic trail running scene, and I can't wait to join his fan club. Stephen, did I miss anything? uh you you got a lot of it in john so that's that's great but there are there are some more in there we can we can definitely dive into but oh, yeah, yeah. That's, looking that's a lot of races looking at steven's ultra sign up is insane so there's like I, there's at least 100 races there but i just picked out some of the ones that i knew i recognized and i thought were incredible um i mean getting into some of these races is incredible let alone finishing at the places that you're finishing for some of these is just insane um you know well of course also balancing you know all the different mathematician and issues that come with the variables of type 1 diabetes so um but is there anything specific that i missed any demographics you are from the uk correct we're from in the uk i i am from the uk yeah i um grew up in surrey uh county just south of london so just on the outskirts and uh, we spent, me and my family spent a few years in Hong Kong when I was young as well. So we got to get, go over to Asia for a while. And uh, I've been in the US, or should be, I should say, I've been in New York City for um, over 11 years now. Interesting. Um, so, yeah. So, in, in your diabetic life, have you used both metric and I want to say non metric? I don't even know what the other measurement is. Imperial <laughs> metric. I'm not sure what. Yeah, I, yeah. I, ha I have. Yeah, um, that's, that's a great question. So I was using my my metric um, even for a few years living in the US. And I was kind of a stubborn Brit maybe for maybe two or three years when I was like, well, even though I'm living here, I'm still going to use my own uh, systems, my own yeah. blood glucose meters. And finally, I caved in and said, I'm not leaving. It's time to it's time to convert and and start doing some different different number crunching. And now so, I'm and now I'm doing the US version. Yeah. So, but when you think of a blood sugar in your mind, do you, are mm. you constantly having to convert it back to you know your old ways, or do you see blood sugars like you know it's your natural language now for the US system? Well, I don't want to upset my parents, but I would say that I I do a blood test now, and I I see the, I see the US number as we're going to call it, and yeah. that's that's all I really think about. I don't want to try and think about a different conversion and then and then have to either 
do some insulin or take some carbohydrates for that for that's, that number. That's so funny. I, I imagine it's like learning a new language. They say like when you start dreaming in a different in a different language, that's when you're starting to really grasp it. <laughs> well, I was never great at languages, but I think I'm pretty good at diabetes. So yeah, yeah. Well, I I hope you can teach me a lot in this episode because I've got literally um, like a million questions for you. So um, the first one being, I guess if you, if you want to talk to listeners a little bit about kind of your diagnosis story and where you were with athletics at the time and kind of how that evolved into, you know, what you've turned into a pretty incredible running career. Sure. So, um, we'll go a little bit back in time. Um, as you said, I was diagnosed at 14. I really found my, my running took off, uh, when I was 10, uh, just joined a new school in England and within a few weeks we had to, uh, do a mandatory cross country race. So it's like, you know, if you like, if you like sport or not, tough luck, everyone's doing it. Clearly I like sport regardless, but I didn't know I was any good at running. There was a, a friend, uh, at school called James and he was kind of the, he was the guy, he was like the sport guy. He was the best at everything. And everyone said, there's no way you're going to beat James. And, uh, we're running about three mile race, cross country race. And, uh, about a mile to go, I, I turn a corner and I see, uh, I see James ahead and I, I get, I get past him and I win the race. So at 10, I win a cross country race for my school. It's kind of a big deal. And, uh, this light bulb comes on that, that's really my sport as much as I love playing my football, which, which we call soccer here, obviously. And, uh, uh tennis, basketball, all these other team sports R- running was really where it was at. And, um, and I was getting pretty good at it. I was running for my school, uh, my high school, uh, a club called Croydon Harriers, uh, which was more track and field. Uh, and also I was running for, for my County Surrey up to na- national level. And then I just turned 14 and I just really started to feel like I was getting the flu. And we just thought it has to be the flu. So I took a day off school and, you know, took some, took some medicine and had a blanket on and watched a couple of films. But the next day, same thing, probably getting worse. And by the third day, it was just, it just didn't, it wasn't really, it couldn't be the flu. It was like, I, I wasn't, I wasn't eating anything. I was drinking all the time. I lost a lot of weight. I was getting really, really pale and just tired, non-nonstop, and it just didn't make sense. So we went to the doctor, um, and he did a blood test, and there I was told in this like, in this waiting room, I guess, in a hospital. He said, "I'm really sorry to tell you, but Stephen, you have type one diabetes." So, with that news, uh, all I knew about diabetes was uh, in, in involved injections. And I was scared to death of injections. They were like worse than sharks, crocodiles, snakes, all, <laughs> all, all combined into one. It was just right. I still hate I, injections. Yeah, just I, I do too. And people think that's, that's kind of weird that I say that, but I really don't like injections. So I, I passed out basically. And uh, I spent about three or four days in hospital uh, injecting oranges at first and then, and then myself and learning about insulin and how carbohydrates affect blood sugar and all those things we have to do with diabetics. But what really, what really hit home and really kind of got to me was a, the doc, the main doctor doing his rounds the, the same day I was diagnosed. And I was, I was sure I could get rid of diabetes. I said, how do I get rid of this? Like, what, what do we do now? Cinnamon pills. He, yeah. <laughs> uh, he, he looked at me and just, he said, you, 
you don't quite get it, do you? And I was like, is it, this is really, really serious. Like, this is something that you cannot cure. You can never get rid of it. It's not your fault, but you have this for life. And all of the activities, all the active lifestyle things that you've been doing, we may have to kind of pull those back a little bit and just do a little bit, a little bit less of that. And he just kind of left. That's how I remember it, at least. He just kind of left me with that. And it just just broke my dreams. It just broke all these dreams I had about about running for Great Britain and my grandparents telling me I could be in the Olympics one day. It was all just gone in in yeah. in one in one sentence from a doctor that I had just met. So that was my that was my uh, my diagnosis at fourteen, where I just thought the world was going to end. So when did you start running again? Uh, I mean, at, how quick did you bounce back into it? Pretty quick. Um, it definitely was a very tough time from there on as a teenager. I think being a teenager full stop is extremely difficult. But now I had diabetes and I was blaming myself. I was feeling sorry for myself. I had the why me scenario in my head nonstop. And my mom, um, God bless her, she, she really took on the role of diabetes management for me while I was maturing into accepting that this was my thing that I had to deal with for life. So I was, I was running, uh, cross country races every Saturday. I was playing football Sunday. Um, and we were doing a lot of trial and error with blood glucose numbers before the race, after the race, how much, uh, we have Lucasade, which which we'd convert to Gatorade here. Yeah. So we would like, how should we have a bottle before the race? Should we do half a bottle? And every every race, every scenario, we had different results. Um, it was a real hot mess, put it that way. Um, but I, I did get back into it pretty quickly. Were you nervous? Like when you first started working out again, was it nervous to work out now with diabetes? You know, I don't think it was nervous for me. I don't recall ever being nervous. Um, more frustrated that I had to do this extra step. I mean, we're talking 14, 15, 16 years old here. Um, I think my mum and dad would say that they were nervous, although they never told me that. Um, yeah. But just, just as parents, I'm sure they're just letting me loose off to a, a three-mile, five-mile race into the woods and Hopefully I'll come back in one piece and my I'll have I'll have good good blood sugar as well as racing well. Yeah. So you raced through high school and into college, or kind of talk about how that evolved into you know running as an adult and then leading into Team Nova Nordisk. Sure. So um, going into college, um, I kind of weaned myself off out of choice. Um, in terms of running for any level there. Um, I went to a few practices. I went to Liverpool, um, John Moore's University, to do sports science. Um, and I was considering going to the, the running club. Uh, just didn't really feel like I wanted to do it. And it really came down to the fact that I was just trying to not be different. I was trying to blend in with everyone else, of all my friends who were going, drinking, you know, parties and just didn't really want to have that thing of of being different and the, and the way the way I did that in my own head was to was to do do less running than I've been doing and just let myself go let myself be a bit more loose for, for a few years so I never did I never did the whole college running scene 
um, that'll that'll kind of flip again once I moved to New York, New York in um, 2006. What brought you here? Oh, lots of things. <laughs> um, I'd wanted to come here for many years. Um, I first came in 2000. I was coaching coaching soccer in, in, in my summer between, between college. And I was determined to come back. It, was, it, became, a li- it became a life dream to, to, to come back to New York, but to really be a New Yorker, to, to live it, to be part of the, the tall buildings, the bright lights, the fast pace, the hustle of it. Um, it was just, I was, I was drawn to it. So, so I made it happen basically. And, um, a bucket list of mine was to go running in central park. So within the first week of moving, I got my shoes out and went for a a nice six mile loop of the park. And I just found all these amazing people also running, cycling, walking. And it was just, it was better than my dreams of what central park really was. And somewhere in there just made me want to run again far more than I had been doing the last maybe decade or so. And that got me back into racing. So I, I joined as a member of New York Roadrunners. Um, and I'd begun to ru- run like their local races every week, 5Ks, 10Ks, uh, Manhattan Half Marathon. And that led me into um, the New York City Marathon. So when you were racing there, how were you doing? Like, were you winning races or were you just getting back into it still? Getting back into it. I mean, New York is an extremely, extremely competitive city to, to race in. Um, I was doing, I was racing these different distances and I was, I was getting PRs. So I was actually improving. Not that I had much of a history with 10 Ks or half marathons up to that point, but I had a few. Um, so I was definitely already in arguably the best shift of my life doing doing longer distances and um yeah the marathon just had to be the next the next move yeah to uh to, to go from there and uh and that i guess changed a lot of things so yeah i was doing i did the new york city marathon um and i got a boston qualifier there i i ran 302 um a lot of friends were like very upset for me that i didn't break three yeah. i didn't I didn't quite get it. I said my goal was to run 3:15. I ran 3:02. You should be happy for me. Um, I was very happy with that. Um, it was a it was a great experience, and uh, and I guess from that point, it was the seed had been planted. So I I kept running marathons basically every year. I I ran uh, I ran Chicago next, um, which then I broke three in Chicago, and then I and then I I ran Boston the year after that. So I, I really now had kind of become an established marathon runner in a matter of two or three years um living here and then how i how i met the team was really around that time a friend of mine a good a really good running friend of mine uh chris solars he mentioned to me just in passing conversation that have you heard of this team uh who's running across the country right now from california to new york city and they all have type 1 diabetes like you yeah I was like, wow. And he said, yeah, wow. And so you hadn't heard of them? Never heard of them. Um, it was Team I'm, Type 1 then, correct? It was Team Type 1. I may have seen something on TV flicking through channels once where I saw a cycling event and I saw Team Type 1 in the corner of the screen as like a leaderboard. And I kind of thought to myself, 
Oh, that's kind of cute. They're like they're team type one. It's like almost like a diabetic team. Yeah. And I continued to flick channels. <laughs> it just it just didn't it didn't really click that that yeah. was a real a real thing. So Chris's point was the fact that I was running marathons and I was now breaking three and I was a type one diabetic, but no one knew I was type one because I hadn't really become this open person about my about my medical condition as such yeah so and, so, and at the time you weren't like busting out a glucometer in front of them and checking your blood sugar halfway through runs or right. anything like that it was the sort of thing where i would you know you go to dinner with friends and i would just go off to the bathroom so i could do my blood test and my insulin and i'll come back and then i'd have the meal that's that's that was how i was living my life i Unless they were close to me, I, I wasn't. I wasn't showing my diabetes. It's like a secret, yeah. It was a big secret for a long time. So uh, he put this kind of thought in my head that I should maybe be thinking about trying to be on this team, which I thought was impossible. It's like, how can I be good enough to be on this team that's running across the country? And uh, well, a year later, um, that all really happened. So. Uh, the and what the, year was that that was 2012 so the following the following year they, they ran across america 2011 and 2012 was the was also the year that i be, i began to really think about i should be doing something different which is kind of ironic because when i was diagnosed with diabetes and for a number of years i hated being different and now i was running thinking how can i be different yeah what what's so different when you contacted Team Nova Nordisk, was this uh, before or after you had already kind of jumped onto the ultra scene? It was. It kind of looks like you had maybe done a few before you were really on Team Nova Nordisk, right? I just dabbled into them, you could say. Um, So I was looking for something different than a marathon. And what's what's different than a marathon? Well, as a a runner, it has to be an ultra marathon. has to be, be of course. It has to be 50K. It has to be 50 miles. But that would be my limit because anything longer is crazy. So I did a 50K, which you mentioned at the beginning, at the North Face in Bear Mountain. And it was absolutely incredible because I was now running this race where there was really not much sponsorship except for the North Face. But there was no crowd support. Um, you were, well, depending on who you are, but I was going from a, a Boston Marathon runner somewhere in the middle to now running this 50k in the woods where I was competing for the top 10 places and it was exciting it, it reminded me of running cross country when I was younger um being at the front and competing yeah and that's why that's why I really enjoyed it I, it really it really clicked this this was probably my my real calling as a runner was was ultra running on on the trails and had you so, been training trails or did you just carry over your, your road training in you know into the woods I pretty much just did what you said. I just I ran I ran Boston 2011 and the Bear Mountain 50k was 2 weeks later. So I took a few days off to to recover and just put a new bib on and did the 50k. It was That's great. Awesome. Yeah. Um so the team, yeah, I I I reached out to the team um early 2012 and as luck had it, you you could say I was now training for my first 100 mile race which I said was crazy. And what race so, was that? That was the Leadville 100. Wow. And so had so, you had you already applied and gotten in or I made some very interesting choices where I went to a screening of Western States 100 
uh, at Fordham University in December. And it was so inspirational. Uh, it blew my mind how amazing these athletes were to run 100 miles in one go without stopping. Yeah. And I went home that night. I realized I didn't have a qualifier for Western States. But what I did have was the link to level100.com. <laughs> so I, I registered within about two pages, almost by mistake, and they said, you're, you're, you're in, and here, we just, we've just taken $400 out of your account. Wow. I, went, I went to bed freaking out. I thought it was the most stupid idea ever. <laughs> so then I, I had to tell everyone that I was doing it, which they said, that's so ridiculous. They said, you're from England. You have no experience in the altitude. A hundred pounds. There's like a forty-five percent finish rate. Why are you doing that as your first one? Like, why? Why are you doing that? Yeah. And for for the, some of the people who's listening and don't know what Leadville 100 is, I mean, talk to them a little bit about the elevation profile of Leadville 100. I mean, obviously everyone knows it's a hundred mile race, but I mean, the altitudes that you start and maintain for you know marathons on end is insane. So, what did you do? You happen to know the profile of that? Oh yeah, I remember it well. So yeah. Lev Levville is the is the highest uh, continental town in the U in the USA. It sits at ten thousand two hundred feet. It's an it's an old mining town that basically went to ruins because of the industry, but it's thriving again because of this race as such. And you you run at between nine thousand feet uh, up to twelve thousand six hundred, which is uh, which is Hope Pass. And it's an, it's an out and back course. So therefore you're doing hope pass twice. Yeah. Um, you're just at altitude the whole way that you just, <laughs> you just, you just can't breathe for a hundred miles. That's insane. In Cause people always talk about, you know, running Leadville as like, you know, a staple race, you know, like that's something that people train their whole ultra lives for. And then, you know, here you are, it's like your first, you know, really big ultra and you're just jumping into it and you happen to be a type one diabetic where, people always, you know, caution type one diabetics, like, Hey, when you go to altitude, make sure you're really cautious because you don't know what your blood sugars are going to do. And here you are, you know, running marathons at that distance and at that altitude. Yeah. I think it's what, it's what really drove me was the fact that it was so difficult and the odds, the odds were against me, except I knew, I knew mentally, I really, I really had it already. I don't want to sound overconfident, but I was so sure I could train every day for over six months. And all the negativity of people saying, you can't do it, you shouldn't do it, you won't make it, all of this, these were just driving factors to prove them wrong because it goes back to the doctor who said, oh, you, you, you're a runner, now you're type one, says maybe you shouldn't run as much. I'm like, no, maybe I should, maybe I should run more to prove pe pe people like you wrong and to show other people to not let diabetes hold you back from whatever you want to do with your life. And that's what I was doing. And so do you have an endo there in New York that you got to tell like, oh yeah, I just ran a hundred miles at altitude last weekend? Well, that's a great segue <laughs> because I had, I had no endo before, oh, wow. before the race. And I, was, uh, I had a bad experience with an endo uh, in New York who told me the same stories about running less. And I said, this isn't my endo. I have to leave. So I never saw her again. Yeah. And my, my family doctor said, you really need an endo. You're doing a hundred miles. And I'm like, you're right. I know I do. He said, let me make a phone call. He called Naomi Berry diabetes center at Columbia university. He called the best endo biased, but it's true. Dr. Robin Goland. She's like my second mother. 
she squeezed me in her schedule because they told her they told her I was running 100 miles at Leadville. She said, "I need to see him. I have triathlete patients. I have running patients. Oh. I have no ultra patients, but I do now." And I saw her about three months before the race, and we spent two hours first meeting discussing running and my love for running and and diabetes. And wow. she was she was amazing. Was there anything that you learned that you took out of that that you? can remember today nothing scientific like especially but just the fact that she had my back the fact that she was so believing of me and i could tell how proud she was that i was going to attempt this this event um without really having too much experience at, at such a distance or something so high um she just made me more confident and that's all I needed. It's like it's almost why athletes hire hire a coach. You may you may be great, but you need someone in your ear or someone by your side to say you've got this. And that's right. exactly what she she said she said that to me. She said, Stephen, you've got this. Come back and see me as soon as you're done. I want to see your medal. I want to hit. I want to. I want to see pictures. And I I did just that. It was it, it's it's a great relationship I have with her. Yeah, and so I mean not to ruin it but i mean you finished in like around 28 hours which is like really good i mean that's impressive and so you're at the starting line of leadville how does it go like how do you from your perspective does the race go well is it what you had planned for did you hit your target pace and your target finish so i went into it um so 100 miles they they um if you finish 100 miles you are given a belt buckle this is what this is this is what you get for finishing 100 miles so yeah there's the two buckles 24 hours which is the nice big buckle and um and then a sub 30 for leadville and my goal was 24 Mm -hmm. so i was going into it uh thinking it was possible um leadville has a sub 25 buckle because it's even harder than most 100 milers which shouldn't be a surprise and I think by halfway, I'd run around 12 hours to get to 50 miles. So I knew at that point there was a very, very small chance to come back in 12 more hours. Um, there was some, so I, I readjusted my goals and I was ecstatic. I mean, absolutely ecstatic to, to finish that race. I mean, knowing it was a 45% yeah. finish rate. Um, it was humbling just to, to, to a large extent. It just, it ripped me raw, which was almost one, one of the appeals of doing it. But I, um, I got through it. Um, and it's still one of my proudest races. One of my favorite races that I've done in my life. Um, which is also a great thing because there was team type one, uh, runners at the race, uh, John Obst and Ryan Jones. And also there, some of their other teammates were there helping them. So they, they, they knew of me at this point, as, as, as we said, and now I'd, I'd finished level 100 and really at the finish line, uh, Tom and Casey were the managers at the time. And they said, um, that was awesome. Like we really want to get you on the team. And it was, it was really cemented there and then that I was now going to be a, a, a member moving forward with, with, with the team. So that was how I got on the team. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned that, you know, you were out there and it just, you were completely raw. It just busted you down. And I think that's one of the joys of ultra running is that when you're out there, you're just completely, you know, boiled down to your absolute, you know, basics. 
I, I've run in Colorado, but I've never run a race in Colorado like Leadville. And I imagine it's just so beautiful being out there racing. And um, if you could it, talk to you a little bit about, you know, how your diabetes management went for that section. So do you feel like you were successful with your blood sugars or did you have like any goals for the day in terms of diabetes management that you, you know, succeeded or failed at? So, um, I definitely had, I definitely had a hard, hard race with, with controlling it to an extent at altitude. I mean, that was the, that was the kicker. I'd, I'd been in Colorado for a week prior as my first time in the state. Um, absolutely loved it. I was all over the place with my parents. We were doing the whole Boulder, then Vail, Aspen. So we were going higher and higher, going to all the ski towns, getting, getting used to that, that kind of level. But then now you're into this, now you're into 11,000 feet, 12,000 feet. And, and you're also now into the race of a hundred miles. So it was surprising sometimes seeing how you really had a harder time controlling, controlling some of the numbers. Um, and just making sure that you could like keep your blood glucose in check so you could have carbohydrates, you know, every, every hour you had, you had to eat, you had to drink. If you didn't put fuel in your body, that was definitely one way people, people quit that race. Um, and I just, it just could not be me. I could not, I could not quit because of diabetes at, at all costs. So I set this, I set this, this rule before the race with, with, with Dr. Goland. And it was before I had a CGM and we said, Let's do a blood test every hour. And I think it was, I think it was her rule. And I, I probably cringed thinking, do you know how much time I'm going to lose every hour to stop? And she said, let's do that every hour. So we did that. So we did a, we did a, the plan was, which is normal to do a blood test before breakfast, like two hours before the race. And then one more just before the start of the, of the gun. And then on, on hour one, everyone's feeling great. And, I stopped, took off my hydration pack, got out my blood glucose meter, did my test, um, whatever the number was, you know, if it's okay, keep going. Obviously, if it's a bit high, take some insulin maybe, or a bit low, definitely, definitely get some more, get some food in quickly to bring that up. Um, so I always tell this story that it took me 28 hours, so I, I lost about 28 minutes doing blood tests. Yeah, but if I didn't do 28 minutes of blood tests i wouldn't have been in the 45 percent of finishes and I, I i absolutely believe that i know yeah. that those blood tests let me let me finish the race and so when you run these races are you carrying all of your equipment on you or do you rely on that being at that next aid station it's a bit of both um i definitely don't rely on anyone but myself mm -hmm. um i have i have i have plans where um I have a certain amount of um, drinks on me. I take noon performance as my kind of uh, carbohydrate electrolyte drink, uh, as well as just a normal noon electrolyte for hydration, um, and then various gels, uh, waffles, honey stinger stuff, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and I'll meet like, I'll meet my crew where 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 I where I can or, or where they're allowed to go because it's. I'm running in very remote places. Leadville was like that. It was a fairly remote race. And um, I'll, I'll meet them every 10 miles or every 20 miles. And, and they'll, have, they'll have things. They'll have, they'll have fresh, fresh supply of drinks and food yeah. as, as, well as, as, as well as do the A stations. So it's a, bit of, um, it's a bit of research about what the A stations have for every single race I'm doing. 
as well as uh, it's again trial and error. What what worked and what and what maybe didn't work. So I'm visualizing you stopping on the side of a mountain with an incredible overlook in front of you, and you're just testing your blood sugar. But was it there, or did you normally wait till you got to an aid station to do that hourly check? I, I mean, I guess you're not hitting aid stations every hour, but um, you know, was it? Kind of how did you decide, you know, hey, this is probably going to be the best spot, or was it right on an hour? It was pretty much right on an hour. It was a, uh, if, if I knew that the A station was, say, mile 13, um, aid station, and I'm at mile 11 or 12, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna churn out another, another mile or two until I get to the A station just to save that time. But, um, but I was really conscious of keeping that, keeping my eye on that watch. So every hour I knew it was time to do it. And it was in the later stages of the race, especially the second half when I was really tired and really, really struggling just to move that next step forward. The last thing you want to do is to stop and take your pack off, especially at nighttime as well. It's, it's, it's nighttime. It's colder. You, I may, I've probably ran 80 miles now, 90 miles. And here I am doing another, another blood test again. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's also a lot of um, have, having, having discipline behind, behind the plan. So you finished Leadville, and then how does that carry into Team Nova Nordisk? You mentioned this was kind of your first race after you know, getting involved. And what was your next race, and kind of how did they pick you up, and how did that change your training? So being, being a member of what, what, what now became pretty quickly Team Novo Nordisk is really, really a milestone in my life. I mean, it's, it completely changed me as a, as a person um, and a, more so as a person living with diabetes. It was like I've been hiding from this for so many years and now I've chosen to, to be like them, to be, to be in the limelight, um, to, to tell everyone I had diabetes and not care. Um, and it just led to some amazing, amazing races from that point on. So I've been with the team for five years and, um, really the next main race, um, I did was Western States 100 the following summer. Yeah. Which, oh, by the way, you finished sub 24, which I think comes with its own special belt buckle, right? That was its own special belt buckle. Yeah. yeah that, that's I, absolutely uh, incredible. I mean, uh, there's tens of thousands of people that over the years that have won, well, maybe not tens of thousands, but definitely thousands of people that have tried over the years that haven't gotten that close to, you know, 23 hours, even without diabetes. And so it's just amazing that, you know, over that distance, you're able to control blood sugar so incredibly that, you know, you can finish at that time. That's impressive. Yeah, that was, that was something else. I mean, that just to get in to that race, I mean, I tried to get in again this year and I think they may have had, I'm guessing here, but they may have had like 10,000 people apply for 400 bibs. And the, the, the odds are just against you. When I, when I applied 2013, I had one ticket and I got in. That's insane. Did you, <laughs> like, insane. was it just fate or do you feel like somehow somebody, you know, put their, their name in your, uh, in your ear at the right time just to submit a ticket? I think it was pure luck. Um, I don't, I don't like to, I don't think of myself as, uh, as, as special who deserves any, any, uh, 
any extra help to get into these amazing events. I was overly grateful over the moon to to hear my name called. Everyone messaged me during the lottery. I was getting texts and emails and phone calls. It was like my birthday. It was it was just great. And um, and of course that was it. Went back to my my goal of Leadville. I said, well now I'm doing Western States where the buckle says. 100 miles one day and you get a silver buckle with the cougar it's the it's the original 100 mile race of the world and this was it this was this was really showtime for me yeah and, and we showed up at the race and the day before the medical doctor um gave his big presentation about hydration and all this and ice and all the things they do just to make sure that you're aware of how serious this is we say well, yeah we, we get it he said, but tomorrow is going to be the second hottest Western States in history. I think it was 40, 40 years of running the event at that point. So that was 2013 one, right? 2013. It's and funny it, that you mentioned that because I think 2017 kicked it up a notch. You know, so. Yeah, I've done, some, I've done some interesting years there. So the, so the doctor said, I want everyone here to be really sensible and change your goal time by about five or six hours. Wow. And I... I couldn't believe he said it, or I kind of could, he's a doctor, but <laughs> I looked at my girlfriend, now my wife, Tiffany, and I just gave her the look and, and she knew what that meant. She's like, Oh no, he's, you're not going to change your goal. Are you? I said, no. I said, I've trained every day since I got in this race in December. It's the end of June. I said, this means everything to me. I said, I'm, I'm running for team Nova Nordisk. My shirt says changing diabetes. I said, I have the backing of my team, all of my friends. I said, you believe in me. He says, just believe in me. Like, I'm going for it. And I went, so I, I, I went for sub 24. And, um, and my, my pacer the last 20 miles is uh, someone you've had on your podcast, Benny Madrigal, um, who's uh, one, of my, one of my best friends. And he basically took the I – I had a map of the course with some kind of splits – and when he when he picked me up at mile seven, I think it's mile yeah, mile eighty at Greengate, I I lost it, but and I thought I'd lost it for good. He basically stole it off me, so I couldn't see any more stats. And he, <laughs> and he just said, "Let's go, like you've got this." And I kept asking how we were doing, how we're doing, and he just kept saying, "You're okay, like keep going, keep going." Just kept kicking me, like, "Come on, let's go." And within about three or four miles to go, I said are we sub 23 now? And he just smiled and we were just high-fiving. I mean, it was, it was magic. It was just like, I couldn't believe. And I, it's, it was, it's, it's, it becomes a team sport at that point. Like we're doing this thing. I should say that about level too. Like without having a crew there, my parents um, or having Benny, having my wife, Tiffany to crew me, to pace me. I couldn't, I couldn't do these things half as well. It's a, it's really a, really a team, a team game yeah. to get, to get the runner from mile zero to mile a hundred. So um, to, to go back a bit, when you talk mm. about entering these races and you, you know, you're representing team Nova Nordisk, what is the relationship between the team and, you know, you as an individual runner, when you enter these events, is it like a complete sponsorship where, you know, you're pulling up in like a team Nova Nordisk van and a whole pit crew gets out or is it kind of you with just, you know, them, you know, supporting you in context, if that makes any sense. It depends on it depends on the race. Um, 
I've kind of evolved over my five years with the team to um, I I try and find a race which is even harder than the last one, and <laughs> they they seem to enjoy my insanity of of that decision. Um, it depends on location. It depends on 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 a lot of things, but. Uh, Benny lives in California, so he can get he can get to Western States very easily. Obviously, my wife travels with me um, all over. She supports me, or I support her in her races. Um, so it just it just depends on, on 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 what's going on. But some of the big ones we mentioned Tahoe two hundred at the beginning, like that. I, I had a I had a big crew for that. Um, Western, I had um, I think I had four people with me Western States. So it just. It varies, but the support is always there. And if it's not there in person, I know it's there on social media or a phone call away. I mean, it's 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 really cool. That's amazing. So you mentioned some other races, and I want to talk about. I want to close up Western states before we move on because it's I'm kind of a fanboy of Western states. I can't wait to go out and yeah, just at least me, me volunteer someday. <laughs> Um, I've literally seen every YouTube video, every person that's ever written about Western states. I've you know I've either read it or watched it, and so. You're the first person I've ever talked to in person that has beaten Jim Walmsley at a hundred miler race, um, or any distance of a race. And so that's true. That is true. <laughs> and so he he DNF'd, but hey, you finished 2017 Western States 100. Um, that's absolutely insane. Um, and you did it in one of, like you said, one of the hottest years other than 2013. Um, talk a little bit about this year's Western States and you know, maybe a couple of highlights in terms of running in general. And then if you had any diabetes specific things that, you know, came up that day. So Western States round, round two. Well, first of all, I'll say I'm extremely lucky uh, as a, as a runner that I am to do Western States tw- twice in five years to, to get back in so quickly was, was extremely, extremely fortunate. And again, I was very grateful for for getting my name pulled. And so you put um, in, I'm guessing you put in every year since 2013. Put in every year since, uh, I have a life goal of doing 10. Um, so I will keep putting in and we'll see if I get my life goal yeah. one day. <laughs> um, so once I got back in, uh, for this year, uh, it was a risk. It was a very big risk because I, 2013 was the race of my life, hundred percent. And people said, why would you go back? How can you top that? I said, I'm not sure I can top that, but I want to find out. I want to see if I can go faster, if it's sub-22, sub-21. So I trained every day. From New, from New Year's Day until the race, the last weekend in June, I decided I'm going to train every single day. I'm going to, I'm going to up my mileage. Uh, I'm going to up my back-to-back runs, uh, wear, my, wear my hydration pack with some weight in it. All these things I've learned from 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 my coach and um and then we just found out towards near the time of the race the snow wasn't melting as fast as it should should for this time of year i didn't really know what that meant it didn't it didn't really mean too much to me until i got there and we were up high in squaw valley um up on up on the escarpment um like three like, you know th- three miles up the trail and there was so much snow compared to four years prior yeah and um, so the race kicked off and we, we kind of hiked up the snow and along, along the kind of Sierra Nevada range up top, which is a beautiful part of the race, one of my favorites, people were just like Bambi on ice everywhere you went. People getting lost, falling in these pockets of snow. I ran next to a guy 
and the next minute I, his head was by my hip and I had to, I had to pull him out and then we kept going. It was, it was <laughs> relent, relentless. And then we got lower and then it became, it became all these fallen trees with mud and it was just a, a sloppy mess. It was like, is this California right now? Or is this somewhere in England? It yeah. was, and, um, I didn't think too much of it, but then I got to one of the checkpoints around mile 30 with my crew and I was already behind my schedule. I was already behind my kind of plan of going around. I think I was trying to go like sub 20 actually. Um, and I just knew it wasn't going to happen. The, that point, the sun, the sun was out. It was getting really warm and it was tough. It was a very, very tough race. Um, it was, definitely wasn't uh, the way I wanted it to go. But it was, this, it was that experience where I'm not going to quit. As, as bad as this is going right now, where as, even, even at halfway, I was on the borderline of sub-24, but I kind of knew, just like Levo said, I can't keep this pace for 100 miles to get. I just didn't think I could do it. So yeah. I was just really dragging. My quads, my quads were bust. I, just, I really, had a, really had a hard second half of the race. Um, but my mindset was don't quit. And that's why I'd say it all the time, like, don't quit. And I, I just don't quit any race because I can't quit diabetes. And I say it to, I say it to everyone I meet. It says, why would I quit a race when I can't quit something that I have for life? Yeah, so I, just, that's an, I just, actually never thought about that. It's kind of it's super inspiring. I just kind of kept on churning away. And, I mean, was I happy with my time? Not really, no. I wasn't, I wasn't thrilled about it. But now I'm a Western States finisher times two. Yeah. And as you... So, so kindly reminded me I beat Jim Wamsley. Yeah. Well, and then you finished on a year where it was just absolute carnage on the course. You know, everyone, like every major name that was, you know, in the hat for winning got right. dropped, you know, and it's a, you know, a year like, you know, in the women's field was so stacked, you know, someone yeah. like Cat Bradley comes out with a win and all of a sudden everyone's Googling Cat Bradley, you know, who's this? Right, <laughs> you know? right. I um, was running. I was running back and forth with Maggie Gutterall, who was, I think she finished seventh or eighth the previous year. Yeah. So she was back for more. Yeah. And we, we were just going back and forth and giving each other a look like, this sucks. We're like, yeah, this sucks. Yeah. And, but I didn't, other than her, I just didn't really think outside of my own bubble, like, how's everyone else doing? And then when I finished, it hit me how hard it was for everyone on that. On, on that day, it was it was a very very tough tough day out there. Yeah, and so spoiler alert for anyone listening who hasn't already looked him up on Ultra Sign Up, um, Stephen here. Twenty six hours you finish, I think, which is roughly you know, sixteen minute miles, which is incredible considering, you know, there's probably like I think there's like eighteen thousand feet of elevation gain over the course of a hundred miles. I mean, most people wouldn't be able to maintain thirty minute miles, let alone sixteen minute miles. But um, could you talk a little bit about any sort of, you know you know, diabetes highlights that you had that day? I mean, did you, were you able to maintain pretty good blood sugars? And, um, was that plan of checking every hour still kind of the, the norm for you at that time? So, um, since Leadville, well, actually since, since Western States, uh, 2013, I've, I've been working with, well, I, I have a, I have a CGM and what that's done for me in, in my, in my running is, is absolutely amazing. I mean, just to to have have the data in an, either on my phone or in on that receiver and see see the trends, like just see if you're like sl- going slightly up, going going straight across, whatever it is. 
I can I can react to that so quickly, and because it's so good now with the technology, I I can I can trust it. Um, so I I still do blood tests, but now I only do blood tests when I really really don't feel great. And I have to make sure it's not diabetes related. It's more just I'm really tired because I ran maybe eighty miles already. <laughs> yeah, which is tired because you're human. Exactly, it could it could be that, and most of the time it is that. Um, so I now do a test when I see my crew and. It's kind of funny. We we all we all um, it's like a pit stop. We kind of have we have roles in the team. So one person does the the ice and the bandana. One person does the blood the the blood test uh, straight away, and then one person changes my pack out for what what I want to put in, and then I'm gone. Yeah, that's um, amazing. And so is I that all? Are those people all associated with Team Nova Nordisk, or is it friends and family? A combination, or it's a combination. It's um. It's Tiffany. It's uh, Benny a lot on on Team Nova Nordisk. Um, I try. I, I I like to have people with type one diabetes. Um, it's not it's not a requirement of mine. Um, I'm not I'm not that demanding. But um, yeah, I, I I like a I like a mix of people, and it's it's normally around three people because there's two people pacing over 100 miles, and then one person is really in charge of the crew, which would be driving from A to B. Yeah. Uh, na- navigation, whatever, keeping someone awake or whatever, whatever it is. I mean, it, like I said before, it's it's an absolute team effort um, to get to get through these these really cool ultras. Well, if you get in next year, I will gladly volunteer all my money, time, and effort towards another belt buckle for you. So, all right, I'm signing. <laughs> I'm signing you up. Yeah, I will be the team Nova Nordisk fangirl, just out there, like you know, with signs and with everything. You can be the fanboy. It's okay. Yeah, you oh, that's can, awesome. Yeah, cool. I um, hope so. We'll see. And so, we can't. It's be impossible to highlight all of the races that you've done on you know this episode. But the next one I kind of want to talk about, and I think all the listeners need to hear, is that you've done and finished the Tahoe two hundred. We think it measures around two hundred and fifteen. Okay. Uh, definitely more than two hundred. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, it's a whole different animal of ultra running. Let's let's put it that. Let, let's start there. And so, how do you even approach training for that? And how do you? I mean, how crazy must a doctor look at you when you say, "Oh, I have type one diabetes." Plus, I plan on not stopping for what, like forty eight, fifty hours at a time. I mean, how do you do that? How do you start training for it? And how do you even begin to manage? diabetes over that type of stressful and body intensive you know workouts well that's the tahoe 200 when i did it 2014 was the first year of the race and it was also the first ever 200 mile race in the in the u.s so a few a few ultra friends of mine decided it'd be fun if we all entered the lottery to try and get in and it was kind of an egging on thing like we have to do it it's going to be a great party and at first I was like, mm, I'm not sure. And, uh, but it didn't take long for me to really consider, again, what's different than 100 miles. Now I had two under my belt as such. And it was appealing because uh, I, I had been to Lake Tahoe because that's really the start of, of Western State. So I'd already been to the area and fallen in love with the scenery, uh, just the location. All the mountains around it are fantastic. So there was something about trying to get around this very famous, beautiful lake in one go. 
for 200 plus miles. So I, I obviously entered uh, and I got chosen in, as such in this lottery for the inaugural 200 miler. Um, it's incredible. My doctor, like you said, didn't think, I, well, she may have thought I was crazy, but she wasn't surprised. She wasn't surprised I was going into something on the double extreme side of, of yeah, what of I was not. what I was already doing. Um, I think she may have laughed when I told her part of my training plan was to do a hundred miles uh, about two months before as a training race. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, something people say every day. Yeah, so I went to Vermont in July to do Vermont 100, and I I had a coach. I hired uh, a very established ultra runner from England, Ian Sharman. Um, very helpful, um, very very reassuring in getting my training plan going uh, off in the right direction from January 1 all the way through to September. And, yeah, he kind of said, now you can run this, but you can't race it. So you're you're gonna you're gonna run this at about about seventy five percent max, and that's really what I did uh, for for the majority of it. I had a hard time the last ten miles, like just to keep going seventy five percent. I still had some bad patches dur- during the race, but but it was really really crazy talking to my pacer Rui at the very end of the race. We said we're about to finish this, but this is only halfway. For in, in two months time and we just kind of laughed because it was so stupid yeah that's insane and so for 200 miles i mean what was going into it what was your plan to manage diabetes for that long first of oh, all I, I didn't look at your time so how long how long did it take you to finish tahoe 200 so tahoe was um 78 hours and ch- and somewhat minutes maybe oh. 50 um it's a hundred hour limit, so it's a four day, four hour limit. If you if you stop to sleep or just to stop because you're tired, which is reasonable, the clock keeps going. There's no stopping of the clock. Yeah. Did you, how um, much how much sleep did you get on the course? So that was a factor in how we how we approached the race. We we me and my coach uh, and my team were like we kind of knew there had to be some sort of sleeping, but we really didn't know when or or how much. Um, so. I get into the one of the main A stations. I hadn't seen my crew for sixty miles. There was it was it was so remote. We couldn't I couldn't see them for sixty miles. I got in at three a.m. I was aiming to get in there around, around midnight. So they were really worried about me, and also I got lost. Um, wasn't having uh, a great time with my pacing uh, and and so forth. And I took a nap there for about forty minutes or so. Um, but I, I looked really, really bad and it was probably one of my lowest moments in my ultra running. Yeah. And, and it wasn't, um, it wasn't blood sugar related. Like, do you think your diabetes was managed well or? No, I think it was just the course was so rugged and sandy. And I, I, in my mind, I think naively, I thought it was this groomed California trails, <laughs> but here I was on this trail called the Rubicon trail where they test drive these, the Rubicon Jeeps and these huge boulders which we saw happening while we're, while we're running. And it was just a massive dust bowl. And also we'd climbed up and down for hours and hours and hours at this point. Um, so that was the first, that was the first one. And I woke up from that and I, I saw some faces thinking that we may, we may be calling it a day here, Yeah. but, uh, um, 
I kind of uh, was reminded to look at my bib number and I had bib number one. And what was cool about that was not that I was the fastest runner by any means, but that I was raising money for what was now Team Type 1 Foundation. And I'd ra- I'd been raising money while I'd been training to um, to basically give, give away medical devices, uh, blood test strips, blood testers, to children in Rwanda who were in desperate need of education and, and all, this, all this medical equipment. So I looked at that. And I'd, I'd, with a Sharpie, I put T1D on the bib, and it reminded me of them and why I was doing it. Because I always wanted to run for something bigger than myself, and this was, this was exactly that. I was running for people far less fortunate than me. I get to run around Lake Tahoe. These people are having a hard time every single day with, with type 1 diabetes. That's incredible, man. So I got up, I got up from, from, from my sleep, and uh, I basically got on with it. But to answer the question, I ended up having three hours of sleep over 78 hours of, of running around this giant lake. And so how do you think that, like, how does that, I don't even know, how does that affect blood sugar? I mean, is it, is it spiking insanely because you're not getting any sleep and you're under so much stress? Or are you burning so many calories and running through so much glucose that you're just stable? You're burning so much even though the pace can be almost like a snail pace or it feels like it yeah but you're just you're just moving all the time um i'm constantly checking the cgm i'm doing because i'm going so much slower i mean especially the second half once i was over 100 miles i mean if i saw a rock anything near like seat height it was very (laughs) very very appealing just to check check that out and make sure it was comfortable which it was um, and when I, when I did things like that, that was a great time to do, to do a, a, a real blood test against my CGM just to check it, make sure it was like, you know, still going okay. And, um, yeah, to kind of validate what, it, you know? Yeah. But one of the hardest things definitely with, 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 um, with the ultra running scene I find is to consume the, to consume the, uh, the, the calories. Mm-hmm. So when you really, really don't want to eating a thing you know that you have to put gas in the tank or you're not going to move so sometimes i have to go more towards fruit or just um coke more like liquids than anything else all the real food i'm starting to see towards the second half of a race it's very very unappealing um and that's one of the hardest challenges more so than controlling the blood sugars i would say out on the course is it hard to count carbs (laughs) I, i i would imagine it's pretty easy if you're eating goose because you can read on the back of it. But if someone hands you a giant grilled cheese or sandwich on the course, I imagine you just wing it and shove it in and keep going, right? Yes and no. I would say the one thing about being an ultra runner with type 1 diabetes is you never switch off. As much as you get tired and antsy and just having a maybe having a bad, a bad race or a, a bad night of a race, I can never stop thinking about how many carbohydrates is in this, how much insulin do I need, or maybe maybe even very little to none, depending on my blood sugar. So I always have that switch on. It's just it's because you, we're living with type one every single day. There's no day off ever. It's kind of comforting to know that it doesn't doesn't stop. You know, even after only having slept for three hours over the course of three days and 215 yeah. miles. But I will also add to that. To, rather than sound like I was completely knew what I was doing, I 
we had we were allowed to have paces from mile 60 um all the way around from there so i had benny was back to pace me um sean is also a uh, a type one diabetic athlete he lives in the area um my friend Vic uh, from Oregon paced me, uh, Tiffany. So we everyone just kind of bounced in around, did like 10 miles here, 20 miles, had some sleep, did it again. I mean, we were at this thing for <laughs> three days and change. Yeah. It, it was a, it was an army. This was, this was, this wasn't a team. This was an army, army helping me get around this thing. It was awesome. That's incredible, man. Well, so not, not to keep on the races too long, but what's your next race? What's the, what's the next thing you're training for? That is the unknown question. Um, I, so we may have mentioned I tried to get back in Western States with, with one measly ticket and I didn't get in, rightly so. Yeah. Uh, I tried to get in Hard Rock, which was the same day in the lottery for my fifth year in a row, didn't get in, mm-hmm. which is a very common uh, response for anyone in the ultra running scene. You you go for those two, you normally don't get in and then you have to like look elsewhere. Yeah. Um, my eyes are leaning towards 200 miles again four years later Ooh, after wow. doing tahoe yeah uh i'm looking at going after i did utmb last year and being back to the alps which i thoroughly enjoy the alps is just a dream place to be regardless of the time of year just it's so cool uh tour de guns i may have butchered how you say that is the oldest 200 miler in the world it's i think it's 205 it's in the italian alps and the difference here is you get 150 hours to finish because you cl- I think you climb something like 50,000 feet vert, maybe more. And it's you're not, al- like, you're not allowed, Everest and a half. you're not allowed a pacer ever. You, it's, you can have a crew, but there's no pacing. Yeah. So you're, you're out there on your own for about a week. Yeah. So it's kind of like UTMB in that sense. It's kind of like UTMB, but twice as long. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that's drawing, that's drawing me in. Um, we, we, we will see, uh, the, the lottery for that is next month. So, um, I have some more time to decide, but I've just told you and, and everyone listening. So that might be happening. I feel like now we're going to hold you to it. You can do that. I, in my, yeah, I just you know if you do any ultras in the States sometime in 2018, I'm going to be there and I'm going to crew you because I've been excited, uh, to get out and crew someone and, you're the first uh, type one diabetic that uh, um, that is ever so successful at the ultra scene. So I feel like I got to come out and witness it. I would love it. Yeah. I, 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 well, I welcome you being on my team, John. It can yeah. happen. So it will happen. Before I let you go, I've got a little bit of uh, a last segment of the show I'll call Tempo Talk. And it's just a bunch of random questions. And you can answer with the first thing that's off your mind. And we'll breeze them, I think, pretty quick. Okay, sounds good. Nice. So, favorite running music or podcast, whatever favorite running thing you'll listen to if you do listen to anything when you're running. Favorite running music? Um, no one in particular, but I love the Salomon uh, running films and whatever they choose, where, whoever does the music for that, I want to meet them because they choose the most amazing stuff. Yeah. Uh, there's one song which actually does uh, a Leadville uh, film. It's called it's called Who Needs a Road, which is kind of perfect for trail running around the mountain. So mm-hmm. that's one of my favorite songs and anything they, they kind of kick out onto onto YouTube and all that stuff, I, I find those songs and put them in my playlist. Go to pre-race meal. Pre-race meal. Um, 
I like a nice cheap uh, cup of the like oatmeal that you heat up with the hot water in the hotel room, uh, uh, a Greek yogurt, and maybe a banana. Interesting. Okay, go to post-race meal. Veggie burger, french fries, big. Veggie burger. Are you a vegetarian? Over a year. So when I was training for UTMB, three months prior, I did a little trial. My wife has been veggie for over 10 years. I was kind of inspired to give it a go and never looked back. Really? And so yeah. I, I hate to screw up my tempo talk here, but... I, I think mean, I did. Yeah. So, I mean, how is that going for you? You love it or... I love it. Yeah. my uh, Some people think it's like, really, after all these years of meat and potatoes, you're now that. I says, yeah, I love it. I love not eating animals. I, I feel good. I feel lighter. I, tr- I feel like I train better. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't miss it. And uh, I feel like I'm doing my, doing my thing for, to help the environment out. And yeah, I'm, I'm, prou- I'm proud to be doing it. So that's interesting. So when I got diagnosed, you know, they always talk about like, oh, well, you're more prone to heart disease and this and that. And so you know, I think about a month ago, my wife and I became, well, at least we're not, we're not that great at it yet, but we're weekday vegetarians. So during the week we eat, you know, maybe only one or two meals with meat in it. And then we eat almost no meat for the rest of the week. And then Saturday and Sunday, you know, sometimes Friday night, we'll have a couple of meat meals. And then, you know, back Monday, it's, you know, meatless until Friday again. So nice. we're starting to kind of play with it a little bit, for, but for me, it's just kind of the goal of removing animal fat from my diet just to kind of avoid, you know, any unnecessary, you know, um, you know, side effects of having too much animal fat and the heart diseases that could be associated with it. Not that, you know, eating meat is necessarily bad for your heart, but, um, there's definitely logic to say that, you know, it can't hurt, you know, cut back a little bit, especially me. I'm the typical American. I think that every meal has to have a giant serving of meat, you know, well, you're proving that it's not true. I like yeah. that. I like that diet. Yeah, that's that's kind of the that's kind of how I began. Honestly, it was it was w- w- weaning off it, and uh, down to like maybe twice a week or once a week taking out red meat just to do just to do white meat, and then uh, and then I just did my I did my three month trial, and the rest is history, as they say. That's awesome. Um, so, next question: real sugar or artificial sweetener? Oh, I'm. I'm bad for this, but with my coffee, I take one artificial sweetener, and I know it's not—I know it's not good. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm trying—I'm trying to stop, but it's hard. Oh no, it's fine. It, what's funny is most people end up leaning towards real sugar. They say real sugar or no sugar at all, but every now and then you got to squeeze in some—you know—some free flavor that you don't have to count for. You know, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, favorite overall food? Pizza. Pizza. Which is super tough because yeah. of one of the hardest things to, as you know, is to of to to manage with your sugar levels. Eating is pizza. Exactly. And so this for, might yeah. be that might answer the next question too. So favorite food you'd eat a huge portion of if you didn't have type one diabetes? No, I do that anyway. <laughs> there is there is there is nothing that I that I, that I don't that I don't eat. When when someone says, "Oh, you can't have the cookie because you're diabetic," I I take it out of their hand or whatever, and I I eat it, and with my insulin, I say, "There you go." Nice. Because, yeah, I have to prove them wrong. So, if you could run with anyone, um, past, present, or future, who would it be? It'd be my wife. She's sitting next to me. Oh, that's so sweet. I, we 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 run together everywhere. So, um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be in the good books and say her. That's incredible. Um, something you wish everyone knew about diabetes. 
I think the fact that you can't see it, um, people think because you can't see it, it might, it's, it's, not, it's not serious. And um, the more we do outreach and podcasts and interviews to explain about how we have diabetes every single minute, every single day, I think that's, that's really important to like hit home to, to everyone out there um, to really show like how much of a serious problem it is. Type 1 and type 2, I mean, it's really an epidemic around the world and it's not, it's not getting the, the, the news that it should get. Um, but hopefully that's, that's changing, um, you know, as we, as social media continues its boom. So what's your advice for someone who is either a runner and just got diagnosed with diabetes or has been running for years, um, or on the other side has been a diabetic for years and is wanting to start running? I think there's a bunch of things, but I think one of the main things that's helped me be successful is to have a really, really great team around you. Um, that can be my medical team, um, my family, my, my, my really close friends. You just have to have a great support system around you that, that truly believes in you. And if you don't have those people in your life, then you need to sort of re re juggle that, um, somehow and people are out there that want to help you. Um, so once you, once you find them, email team over Nordisk, speak to them, um, speak to me, speak to you. Um, I think that's really where, where it all begins to just to having the belief that you can do it, that you can run a 5k, you can run a 10k, you can run a hundred miles if you want to. I'm, I, I'm living proof of that. Absolutely. That's incredible, man. Where, um, where can people follow you and keep up with, you know, Steven England and his training and his next races and, you know, where can they just in general follow you and your performance? Uh, people can find me at, uh, run diabetes is my handle. That's, uh, that's both Twitter and Instagram. Um, I'm also, uh, having got a page, but I'm Stephen England on, on Facebook. You can find me there to, to friend, to message. And I'm also, um, using Strava the last uh, year or two, which I'm enjoying because I get to travel a lot. So I like to run in new places and do some, do some fun, uh, some fun red, uh, maps of where, where I've run. So you can find me in those, those four places, especially. I'm going to find all the segments that you've gotten and I'm going to beat them all. Okay. I'm not, a, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a big segment King, but I just like to go, I just like running. But you can be, you can beat me. I, I don't mind it. That's awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. I, I can't say enough how much I, it means to me for you coming on the show and spending your time with us. Thank you, John, for having me. I appreciate it. It's been great talking to you. Hey guys, that wraps up today's interview. Once again, if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the show. It's the perfect way to make sure you get fresh episodes delivered straight to your phone every Monday. Also, make sure to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the Diabetic Running Podcast, or visit me at the Diabetic Running If you think you or anyone you know would be a perfect interviewee for the show, make sure to reach out to me on any of those platforms and tell me a little bit about the story you think that we should share. Once again, guys, thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you guys again next week. Happy training. Happy training.